Hey, welcome to New Life, everybody. If you would, go ahead and find a seat. That will be great. I want to introduce myself. My name is Jeff Baker. I am one of the pastors on staff here. I actually have the unique privilege of serving as the lead pastor here at New Life. And so I just really think that this is an incredible church. It's an incredible church body. And it is a blast to serve. So uh, we've, got, uh, we've got actually, I think, uh, what, three different locations, maybe Four, actually, when you count our, our online campus, it's happening right now, all simultaneously at the same time. Uh, so we've got the venue. I want to say hello to all you guys that are worshiping with us down at the venue. Out in North Platte, our campus in North Platte is rocking. I was just out there two Sundays ago preaching, and God's doing incredible things out there. And I want to say a big hello to all of those that are worshiping with us online at our online campus that was recently, recently launched uh, I know that we probably have a number of people that are there because, um, you know, we've got this New Life United event happening out at Johnson's Lake today. So it starts at 2.30. It's going to go throughout the day and the evening. We're going to have a little time of worship. We're going to be baptizing people right there in the lake. It's fantastic. It's an incredible moment. It's going to be so much fun. You've got to be there. And I guarantee you there's people already there. So if you are uh, out there already in your cabin, in your tent, sitting next to the lake, um, possibly on a fishing boat. I have no idea. I still know that you can get uh, 4G out there, right? And so I want to say hello to all you guys that are worshiping with us, waiting for us to arrive at Johnson's Lake with them. So listen, guys, uh, today we are going to be continuing our teaching series called Guardrails. This will be the last Sunday of that teaching series. Uh, and so before we get started, last week, last Sunday, I was actually down in El Salvador. I had an opportunity to take a team from here, and I personally wanted to lead this team. And we have been working on it all year long. We, uh, we, when we advertised it within about seven days or so, a few days, the trip was full instantly. We took 12 people, myself and another staff pastor here, uh, Pastor Matt. Uh, we went down, and we went to El Salvador. This is our beautiful-looking team. Yes, yeah. I would have to say it was one of the sharper looking teams down there. Um, and uh, so we, were, we represented Nebraska well. We did that. We represented New Life well. We went down and we worked with a ministry called King's Castle. Uh, they are now actually located around the world. This is their international headquarters is uh, right there in El Salvador. We stayed at their, uh, at their compound, and we went out from there and did ministry in villages. We went and did ministry at orphanages. Uh, it was a fantastic time. We, we had to learn these uh, crazy dances because basically when Americans go to El Salvador with King's Castle, they, they use a word I've never heard before. They say, thank you for coming. We're going to use you guys as spectacle evangelism. Basically what that means is that we're going to take you, throw you out on the streets, make you look like fools and let everyone laugh at you, and go with their friends and bring them out so then we can present the gospel. And we had a lot of fun doing that. Is there anybody here that was on the team that was with me? Come on. Okay, one, two. Yeah, good. It was amazing. Um, I'm sure the other ones are down in the venue. We actually have one out in North Platte. That's incredible. Uh, so anyways, all of that said, God did some fantastic stuff, but here's where God did his greatest work. He did his greatest work in our hearts. In our hearts. And that's, that's why I want every single one of you to consider going on a missions trip, foreign-wise, sometime in your life. Not for what you can go do. That's bonus. If anything happens through you, it's bonus. It's what God wants to do in you. That's the primary focus. So 
That's why I led this trip. I felt, uh, I felt very honored to take 12 with me. It was a little bit like Jesus and his disciples, if you will. It was that kind of heart of just going, let's, let's grow to become all that God wants us to be. The, the last day that we were down there, though, we got to vis- visit our Compassion International Project church and, and site. Um, and I actually got a chance to uh, meet the girl that my wife and I sponsored, Daniela, and um, her mom, Patricia. And we, we spent the day together. We prayed together, presented the gospel to one another, um, you know, just shared our spiritual journeys with each other, talked about how God really kind of led us, you know, to Daniela, and tears flow down the face of the mom, and she goes, I was praying that, you know, God would lead the right person, you know, to be a sponsor with me uh, for my daughter. And we just, we had, a, we had a great moment. Everybody that was on the team, you saw a picture earlier where they, they were able to, you know, meet all their kids. And uh, I'm just going to tell you this, that the, down there, when we were down there, it's very evident. It is, it's in the forefront of everything that's going on. Jesus is being preached. And the first agenda in the hearts of all the leadership that's down there in the classrooms and in the auditorium and the church in which they meet and what they do, it is to disciple the student's heart first and foremost. And then it's to try to assist that kid out of poverty of which they're living in right now in all types of practical ways. And it was a blast to be down there. It was a joy. They just opened up this project center. The day before was the grand opening it was beautiful. It's a beautiful facility, an incredible church there, and a pastor that's doing some great work. And so um, I'm excited to be, to be a part of that. So anyways, that's a good thing. Thank you so much for sending your gifts down. We got all of your gifts to those children. So today, as we continue our teaching series of guardrails, there is a scripture that I've been using that kind of highlights the series for us. This is what I would call the series scripture. Like, why even preach a series and why call it guardrails? Because guardrails are there to keep us on a road, keep us on a path so that we don't drift off of it into possibly dangerous or destructive areas. Well, Jesus is the one who spoke about this issue first. And here's the words he used in Matthew chapter 7. I've read this week after week, so I'm sorry if it starts kind of getting mundane. But sometimes scripture saturation is good for our heart, hearing something over and over again. Enter through the narrow gate, Jesus said, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many are going to enter through that road. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. Only a few are going to find it. As a pastor, my whole mission in life is to figure out how to help you and myself find that narrow road, stay on it, because if we do, it leads to life. Now that does mean that at times we're going to have to say no to things. That means at times we're going to have to build a guardrail and we're going to have to say, we're just not going to cross over it. We can't go there, because if we cross over that guardrail of belief, of action, of behavior, you know, of uh, attitude... Um, whatever it is, if we do that, then we're going to be in the wide road that leads to destruction. And I just refuse to lead in that manner. Now, how we communicate where our guardrails are, that's something we're going to be very gentle about. We're not going to beat people over the head with our guardrails, right? We're not going to, you know, take our guardrails, pull them up by the ground and hammer people with them because they are different than us. We're going to be a safe place that has multiple on-ramps onto this narrow road that leads to life. We want to help people 
and help you today that are maybe living in certain areas of your life outside of the guardrails of what it means to live godly. We want to help you know where those are so that you can get out of the destructive road, get onto the narrow road, because ultimately, although it might be a hard road, it might be a difficult road, ultimately it leads to life. I think that's why you're here today. All of you. Whether you're searching for Christ, this is the first day you've ever walked through these doors, or you grew up in this church and it's the only thing you know, and in your faith has never wavered all your years. I believe one thing is true about every single person that's here. You want to figure out what that narrow road looks like because ultimately there's something inside of all of our hearts that's going, I, I want life. I don't want spiritual death. I want life. The good news is this, that all of God's word is a, a guidebook to help us figure out how to get off of the broad road that leads to destruction onto the narrow road that leads to life. All of it. In fact, one of the things I've loved about this teaching series is how many of you have come up to me or other staff members and said, hey, I found this great scripture. This is, this is an incredible scripture. You've got to use it like next Sunday because, you know, it's a great guardrail. I'm like, wow, now that's awesome. That's what we do things like this teaching series for so that your heart comes alive and when you're reading God's word, you're going, wow, that's a guardrail. And if I follow it, it's going to lead me to life. Let that be the behavior of your life even beyond this teaching series called Guardrails. And you know, to preach this series, we decided to land in one chapter of scripture and we just said, let's focus on this. All right, and because all of God's word is, is showing us the guardrails. So where can we focus on? Because we can't just preach this, you know, forever, this theme of guardrails. So we landed in Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23, Jesus was dealing with the, um, the religious leaders of his day. They're called Pharisees. And he would also, you know, there was also a group called the Sadducees. And so Jesus was dealing with the teachers and the Pharisees. And he's instructing them on ways that they're living life that are outside of the guardrails. And he was pretty straightforward with them, and he used the language that penetrated through their hearts. But you'll understand why a little bit more with the passage we're going to use today. Okay, Many times the passage we're going to be reading today would be something that you would gloss over, you would read over, and you would go, what in the world does that even mean? And I hope today to help take some of um, Scripture that might be difficult to palate and help us apply it to our lives, because every word that's printed in God's word, is a word that can lead us to life. Amen? Amen. So Jesus, as he's teaching them, he goes to Matthew chapter 23. We're going to start in verse 29. We're going to read a a large passage, okay? A little different than what we always do here. Um, We're going to read all the way to 35, and then we're going to dive into it. Why don't you join me? Jesus says, woe to you. Remember what? Woe to you, right? Warning to you. You guys, you're off the beaten path you got to get back on this thing. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You are hypocrites. You, you guys, you build tombs for the prophets and you decorate the graves of the righteous. That all sounds great. And you say, if you had lived in the days of your forefathers, that we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets, the people that God would send to them to speak the word of life. You say, you would never take, take part in that. So, th- so here's what happens. You're testifying against yourself that you're actually the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up, then, the measure of the sin of your heart, of your forefathers. Fill it up. 
You're operating in it right now because you're snakes, right? You're a brood of vipers. Um, How will you escape being condemned to hell? One second before we read on. How will you escape being condemned to hell? You're like, Jesus said these words. How will you escape being condemned to hell? One thing I want you to notice is this. Jesus right there was not condemning them to hell. He was just saying, you're so far off. You're so far out there on the wide road that leads to destruction. It's going to be a long journey for you to get back onto the narrow road. But look what Jesus does. He says, so because this is your spiritual condition, therefore I'm sending you prophets and wise men and teachers. I have not given up. I'm going to continue to send the message of the gospel of truth. I'm going to continue to preach it in in spite of where your heart's at. I'm still going to love you where you're at. I'm still going to try to help get across to you the real truth of who I am. But he says to them, even though I send these guys to you, some of them you're going to kill and you're going to crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue them from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on the earth. If that's your action, this is what's going to happen. From the blood of righteous Abel, all the way back in Genesis, to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, who, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Now, this is an interesting passage that you could read over and just go, what in the world? What's Jesus really trying to say? One of the interesting things about this passage is that Jesus gives them like these two bookends. And he helps them understand that the descendants of their past, the ones that they're trying to mimic their life after and they're trying to follow, have been guilty of rejecting and killing all the prophets that God has ever sent to them, all of the righteous blood that God has ever sent to try to speak truth and get his message across has been rejected or killed from Abel all the way in Genesis to Zechariah, which is talked about in 2 Chronicles. Now, in the Hebrew Bible, the Hebrew Bible is different than the English Bible. If you know anything about the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles is not the last book of the Old Testament. 2 Chronicles is the last book of the Hebrew Bible, though. So 2 Chronicles ends up down here. Genesis ends up down there. Jesus says to them, the bookends of of righteousness, the bookends of the prophets, the bookends of the messengers that I'm sending to get the message across, you've either rejected or you've killed and you're guilty of all of it. Then he says to them, basically, I know know that you go and you decorate these, these... tombs of the righteous and you do all this stuff and on the outward you you look you look really good on the outward you even you dress amazing you stand on the right corners and you pray amazing and you do all these little acts but in your heart your heart is in a whole different place he literally says to them that you're going to kill me as well you're going to put me on a cross you're, you're, gonna, you're not just rejecting the, the prophets from the old days. You say that you would never do that, but the Son of God is standing right before you right now, and you can't even see me, and you're rejecting me. And I'm going to send to you disciples, of which I'm raising up right now. Some of them are standing with me. Some of them are sitting on the rocks and are listening to this conversation. And you're going to crucify some of them, and you're going to kill some of them, and you're going to flog them. And guess what church history tells us? That of the immediate disciples that Jesus had around him, one of them commits suicide, and all the others but one are martyred for their faith in Christ. Exactly what Jesus said came true. Paul, the apostle who writes a lot of the New Testament, 
he says about himself when it comes to this persecution that he faces that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you can read it for yourself, but starting in verse 23 to the end, Paul basically says, guys, I've been whipped many times for my faith. I've been beaten with rods for my faith. I've been shipwrecked three times for my faith. I've been stranded. I've been chased down by my very own Jewish brothers. I've faced danger in the cities. I've faced danger in the country. I've faced danger from every single person. I've been left outside city walls for dead. I've been stoned. He's faced it all. He ends up in prison in Rome only to give his life for the gospel in the prison. And then you have John the Baptist who is all of this stuff, all this stuff's flashing around in the disciples' head, in the eyes, in the minds, even maybe of some of the people Jesus was speaking to. And here's John the Baptist, the forerunner, the one who went right before Jesus, who was proclaiming that the Son of God is coming. One greater than me is coming. The King of kings and the Lord of lords is coming. And what do they do with him? They reject his message. They put him in prison and later they decapitate him. And to this day in which you and me stand right here, right now in history, it's estimated that about 70 million people have been martyred for the cause of Christ since the day that Jesus bore the cross upon his own back. What Jesus was saying is true. It continues to come true. He's sending people like you and me out to our communities, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And listen to me today. If you're a Christian that's here today, you're full of the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's put the power of the Holy Spirit in you and me to go out and to communicate the good news. Some will be rejected. Some will be fired from jobs. True. Some will face difficult times. Jesus is the one who faced it first. The prophets before him were rejected. Jesus bore his life on the cross so that you and me could have the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. Yes, you're going to face difficult times. Yes, there's going to be persecution. Yes, they're going to continue to be martyrs for the cause of Christ. But that's because his message is greater. His message is the best. And he's worth living for. Never shy away from that. Never shy away from it. But the way your message becomes strong and powerful, the message of Christ living in you, is when you find the narrow road You learn what the guardrails are, and you live inside of it. What is one of the guardrails that Jesus was really, in an overarching concept, really trying to get across to these guys? Is that a stagnant heart will miss God every time. A stagnant heart, spiritually, misses God. You know, these religious people, these religious leaders, they had been spiritually stagnant for generations, as Jesus pointed out to them. You've rejected and you've killed all the other prophets that I've sent. And you don't even see me standing right before you. You do all these outward things, but on the inside, you're rotten and you smell, you know, and your, your righteousness is, is worthless. It's, it's ridiculous, right? But they couldn't see it, nor could their ancestors see that Jesus was standing right in front of them. But church, listen to me. Some of you today are stagnant in your faith in one place or in one way or another. And that's a dangerous place to be. Many times when we're stagnant in our faith, we don't even realize it. But I want to tell you something today. There's a big difference between being stagnant in your faith and being stuck. Difference between stagnant and stuck. When you're stuck, you know you're stuck, right? 
I mean, have you ever been stuck in the snow, stuck in the mud someplace? You ever had that moment where you're like, man, I wish we didn't sell that four by four last year. I know it was a gas huggle, you know, it sucked down the gas, but man, we could use that thing right now. Right? While our front wheel drive cars is spinning in the snow. So, I mean, if you've ever been stuck, you know that you're stuck. It's one thing to be stuck. Sometimes, sometimes God can lead us even to a moment where it feels kind of like you're stuck because he's, he's saying, hey, listen, if you go any farther, it's going to be destructive for you. Let's stay right here and let's deal with this that's going on in your life right now. Sometimes I've heard you say it before. You say things like, I feel like I'm kind of in a desert right now. That's not always bad. God did some incredible things in the desert. If you read through the Bible, he did some incredible things in the hearts of people and in his own people. He led them. He, he's not void of the desert. When you feel like you're stuck or you're in the desert, it doesn't mean that God's void. It means that we really should be saying, I'm stuck, God. What is it that you're trying to teach me? It's when you're stuck over time and you just go, well, I guess I'm just where I'm supposed to be. I guess this is as good as it gets. I guess this is as much faith as I'm going to have. That stuck starts turning into stagnant. Because when you're stagnant, you forgot that one day you were stuck. And over time, that becomes an extremely dangerous place. Some verbiage I've heard over my short years on this earth that kind of indicate more of that stagnant, that stagnant heart can be things like, I'm too old to change. I'm too old to... Now, I got it. As I'm getting older, I'm recognizing. There's some things that I'm that are going to be difficult to change as I get older. My, my closet of clothes will be difficult to change. I can, only, I can only adapt so far before what I have is who I am. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I got it. Technology changes so fast that you might be too old to get a smartphone. I understand. They can be complicated at times for as smart as they're supposed to be. Right. And the dumb phone isn't all that bad sometimes. You know what I'm saying? So there's some things that, yes, you might, as we grow older, there are some things that might be, I'm getting too old to change a couple of those zones. But we're never, ever too old to keep changing spiritually. And when we say, I'm too old to change spiritually, I'm telling you, watch out, because you're standing in some nasty, stagnant, spiritual filth. Don't go there. That's not where you want to live. Another statement I've heard people say is, that's the way we've always done it. That's the way we've always done it? Well, what if we still did church like we did it in 1960? We would not be the church we are today. I'm thankful for the way they did church in 1960, or we wouldn't be the church we are today. But if we kept being the church of 1960, we wouldn't be a church that's relevant and effective in reaching the community that we have today. So it's not just that it's just the way that we've always done it. That's a good indicator. There's spiritual stagnant uh, heart situations that could be going on. And I'm saying that about myself as well. Here's another statement. Like, you know, I'm just comfortable doing things my way. Just want to do it my way. Keep it my way. That's a great indicator of a stagnant heart that's being developed. Or here's a great one you hear from young people often. It's last, but it's definitely not least in the things I could bring up. And that's this. When they say things like, there's only one way to get this done. <laughs> really? I mean, there's only one way to get to heaven. 
But there's more than one way to get a lot of things done. And as we grow older, we learn that there's the smart way, and then there's your way, right? So there's typically, yes, more than one way to get things done. But when we say there's only one way to get this done, there's only one way to make this happen, you know? I mean, sometimes that's just like I'm, I, you can grow stagnant in your heart. And here's what happens. Spiritual stagnation, it pollutes the heart, and it warps your ability to make godly decisions. That's what was happening for, for these religious leaders. Over time, from generation to generation, their heart had become so stagnant, so stale, that they couldn't even make a godly decision if, if it was going to require them to save their life at that very moment. And that's why Jesus goes, I don't know what's going to save you guys from being condemned to hell. You've drifted so far. Think of with me like a pool of water for a moment that grows stagnant. Just think, just, have, you, have you seen a pool of water that's grown stagnant? All the algae and the discoloration and the filth that gets there and trash ends up building in there and dead leaves end up in there. And isn't it the place where you just pull out your fishing pole and you're like, man, I'm going to catch a big one right here. No, you're not going to catch anything big coming out of a stagnant pool of toxic filth. You know, that has grown to a point where, you know, it's stagnated for so long, it, it doesn't give life and it won't sustain life. That's what happens to our hearts. Spiritually, when we grow stagnant, when we, we say, this is as far as I'm willing to go and I'm not going to change anymore. This is enough biblical knowledge. This is enough prayer. This is enough worship. This is enough of seeking God. This is enough of volunteering. I'm getting old. God, when is it that you're going to tell me take a break? Because God's never going to say take a break. When we get to that point where we say, this is it. I'm not going any farther. We begin to stagnate. We grow to a point over time where we have no ability to give life or sustain life for others. So how do you keep your heart fresh from growing more stagnant and stale spiritually? You've got to stir the waters of the heart often by seeking God for today. Moses learned this lesson. So did all the Israelites in Exodus chapter 16. God says, I'm going to take care of you guys. And I'm going to provide for you food every single day. It's referred to as manna. Every single day. I want you to go out and you take a couple of quarters of what I provide for you for each person every day. Don't take more than that. Don't take less than that. Take, take, take that and I will sustain you throughout that day and I will sustain you throughout the journey. But don't take more than what I'm commanding you to take. Well, some people, like some of you that are here, as soon as God provides the food, we go through it like a buffet line. How many guys have gone through a buffet line? You started out going, I'm not going to overdo this one. And you get to the end, and you're like, hey, can you hang on to this extra plate for me? Because i got to get some more of that. That was good. Right? And so they're loading it up, and they've got it. And they're thinking to themselves like, hey, tomorrow, tomorrow's going to be awesome. Because we're going to have leftovers. Only to wake up to the leftover of what God provided, the Bible says that it was rotten and it was full of maggots. What do you think God's trying to teach those people? He's trying to teach them, if, if you don't stir the waters of your heart daily for me, your heart begins to stagnate. It stagnates quicker than what you might think, and it grows rotten and stale. It becomes something that can become full of magnet, maggots. It was like a picture of what our heart can be if we try to become the Sunday-to-Sunday Sunday Christian. Like, I'll get my fill on one Sunday, 
and then I'll come back next Sunday and I'll let the pastor, pastor feed me with God's word. If that's your approach to God's word, let me just tell you that there are some moments you're walking in stagnant and it's not all getting flushed out and you're going the next week and it's only becoming greater and it's stale and then the next week we try to flush a little out but we can't do the whole thing and then we get to the next and it just keeps perpetually getting worse and worse and worse. That's not the way God called us to live. He called us to stir the waters of our heart daily. Daily. So we stay fresh and we don't grow stagnant. Another one would be this. Don't, don't evaluate your spiritual health condition based on your outward activity and actions. Your outward activity and actions, Jesus was saying, are not a reflection of the, the, the true spiritual depth and uh, spiritual health of your heart. Jesus said to them, you guys, you, you're building tombs for the prophets that your ancestors killed. You have the same heart to do that because you're going to kill me. And you go out and you decorate the tombs of the righteous. That's awesome, but your heart is stagnant and stale. See, we look at our actions often to determine where our spiritual condition is. Things like this. Man, I've been to church for the last four weeks in a row. Does that really indicate Is that a good indicator for spiritual health? It can be. It depends on the motive of why you're here. If it's that you did it and you just did it, well, that doesn't equate to anything. right? It's more about the heart. So last week, I went to church last week. Thank you very much. Glad that you guys are, uh, you know, proud of that. I went to an El Salvadorian church. If it weren't for the interpreter, I wouldn't have understood a single word. I didn't know the songs they were singing. If I just went to church for the sake of going to church last week, I'm going to tell you right now, that was the deadest service I've ever been in. Because I couldn't, I couldn't understand anything. But I was there for a different reason. I wasn't even ministering, by the way. In fact, I purposefully set it up. No one from our team is doing any ministry this morning. This morning is about going and worshiping God with brothers and sisters from a whole other country. So you're going to go and you're going to seek God and we're going to seek his presence together. Guess what? When we came in with the motive of we're going to seek his presence, it was less about the outward. It was more about the heart. Guess what we did? We walked away refreshed. Isn't that interesting? When you go and you read God's word, it's not just about getting through these next verses that you're looking at. It's about opening your heart up and saying, God, What is it that you're wanting to say to me in here? When we pray, it's less about what we want to say. It's more about what he wants to say to us. That's about focusing in here. God's always more concerned about the condition that's inside of the heart than he is about the actions that your hands can do. He's always been there, and he'll always stay there. And when you are more concerned about the condition of our heart, where our beliefs and our behaviors and our attitudes and our character and our life live before God, heart to heart, your heart will be less likely to become stagnant and stale and more likely to stay fresh and alive. One last thing may I, may I say to you in passing on of how can you stay fresh and not grow stagnant? I heard it recently from another, another pastor. He said, don't, uh, don't be married to the method. He said, date the method and be married to the mission. Don't marry yourself to a method 
of pursuing God, like the way we do church today. Because the way we do church today is not going to be the same way we do church five years from now. It won't be the same way we do church ten years from now. Everything changes. Method changes. Right? The songs that we sing today will probably not be the same songs we sing three years from now. The method changes. Method will change all the time. And if you marry method, you get stuck and you'll grow stagnant and stale. But if you marry the mission, which the mission is Jesus, him crucified, resurrected, preach his name, draw people to him, and let their lives be transformed and changed. When you marry the mission, you stay fresh and alive. Church, let's be a group of people that don't marry methods. We date methods for the, for the season of time God uses them until the next one comes along. And then we date that one. But let's stay married to the mission that Jesus is the Son of God and he gave his life on the cross and he rose again and that only through him can we have eternal life. Let's marry that. Amen? Amen. That's where we need to live. That's where we need to live. And if we stay there, we'll find life. So that's the first guardrail. A stagnant heart always misses God, so a fresh heart always finds God. Secondly, though, is a guardrail that I believe Jesus is really trying to drive home here, and that's legacy matters. The legacy of the religious leaders, it was horrendous. The example of the religious leaders passed down from generation to generation was just flat shameful. But it gives us a picture that legacy matters so much that legacy has the unique ability to alter the future. It has the ability to alter the way the next generation lives. I think about this church and the way that it is right now, and I go all the way back to its beginning days, and some of you are here that, you know, we're here at those days, and your legacy is still being lived on in a positive, incredible way. But see, legacy has the ability to alter the future, both good and bad. So as an example, in light of the presidential election in which we're in right now, uh, we got about 100 days left. This is not going to be a political statement. This is more of an example. Every president leaves a legacy, like it or not, whether you liked it or you didn't like it, or he liked it or whatever, it doesn't matter. Every president leaves a legacy. I want you to think with me in the recent past, who is a president recently that has left an incredible legacy that's still being talked about and still being dealt with today? I would personally, I would personally go to Reagan. One of the reasons why is because I've heard his name brought up more than any other past president in this current presidential election process. Whether you're a Republican or you're a Democrat, it seems like Democrats want to have, you know, Democratic or Democrat uh, Reagan followers, right? This is a, this is a Reagan Democrat. And Republicans are like, well, we, we, we are the, the, we're the party of Reagan. And so, you know, you've got this debate that keeps going on back and forth, and everybody wants to try to claim him in one way or another. I would say you left a pretty good mark. You left a pretty good legacy if everybody's trying to grab a hold of a piece of you. There's another president that nobody's trying to grab a hold of a piece of that left more of a negative legacy. And I would probably just say in more recent times, I would have to go to a guy like maybe Nixon, who ended up getting himself into some pretty hot water. And his legacy... Fortunate for him, continues to go on, and you don't think about his best, you always think about his worst. So legacy has the ability to affect the future. Not just of what people think about you, though, but how people are aspiring to be more like you, or they're running from your example. And 
Paul, he wrote to Timothy in dealing with this issue of legacy. Here's what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, if that's going to come up. Okay, there we go. Um, You've heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to others. Teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will do what? Who will be able to pass them on even to others. He, He writes to Timothy and he says, hey, don't forget what I taught you. Turn around and pass that legacy on to others. Really, Timothy, pass it on to everybody, but particularly look for people that have the ability to grab a hold of that truth and even pass it on to more people. Paul, who's caring about his ministry, caring about the legacy, wanting to make sure that the example that he said is something that others can follow. And Paul had this kind of heart all the time. In fact, he even said things like, follow me as I follow Christ. These are great statements of legacy. It puts a lot of weight on our shoulders. When legacy matters, it puts a responsibility on us that helps us or causes us to live more Christ-like because we realize legacy matters. So what's, what's the word to you today? The word is this, right? Live your life in a way that's worthy of being emulated. And to do that, you have to keep growing. Can't stop. I just want you to think for a moment. Think back a year ago and just quickly take a quick assessment of your own life when it comes to your spiritual life. A year ago. And now jump to today and ask yourself this critical question. Is my life more like Jesus right now than it was a year ago? Is my life more like Jesus right now than it was a year ago? If you can say, yeah, yeah, my life's more like Jesus than it was a year ago. Great. Great. That means there's more freshness of God that's happening. The impartation of God in your life is taking root in the stagnant heart. That's awesome. But if you have to sit here and you have to ponder it and you have to wonder to yourself, I, don't not, I just don't know, man. I, that's a hard one. I, I can't. Then I would probably tell you, you know what? It's not maybe, you could be over-evaluating yourself. That's true. But at the same time, where is the practical, you know, quick access um, evidence that lets you see that Jesus is growing in me and I am changing more into his likeness every year that goes by? Sometimes it's hard to see change day to day. But when you look back 12 months ago and you see yourself now, I'm not talking about the exterior things that you wrestle and you fight with. We're going to fight with those all the time. I'm talking about the condition of your heart. We should be able to say, my heart is more like Christ today than it was a year ago. When you ask yourself a question like that, it's going to help you know, are you on target right, to establish a Christ-centered legacy or a you-centered legacy? It's also going to help you know, am I on target to stay, to have a fresh heart before God or a stagnant heart before God? It's going to help you know those things. You know, I told you I just got back from El Salvador. And I personally went because I wanted to, I wanted to stir the fresh heart of God inside these 12 people. I wanted to help them realize that setting a legacy for Christ is what really matters. I wanted to help disciple them. I wanted to help them in their journey, uh, you know, have these moments with God that impacted their life. And it could impact their life forever. And I would have to say that their hearts were definitely impacted with a fresh impartation of God's power while we were away. And every single one of them has a way to identify that and share it and talk about it. 
But this will help to keep, their, keep them you know, uh, from being spiritual stagnant only for a while. But it's not going to last forever. And if they don't do something with the fresh impartation from God that's happened in their life, then they will become stagnant and stale in their spiritual life. Because even though they had incredible moments and they've had these incredible memories that they'll maybe hang on to for a lifetime, moments and memories with God are not meant to sustain life. Moments and memories that we have with God are strategically put there to inspire us to live a lifestyle of spiritual hunger. We take these moments like a missions trip and we feel like it's supposed to sustain us now for the rest of our lives. But memories and moments with God are to inspire us to make alterations in our lives so that we can stay spiritually hungry for God. So today, even though you didn't go to El Salvador, I'm going to ask you the question. Right? Are you spiritually stagnant in your own life? And if you are, what, what barrier has been built? What dam has been built that has stopped the spiritual flow of God in and through you that brings life? What stopped it? What's dammed it up? Because whatever that is, we need to destroy that today. We need to not only destroy that, but we also need to come before God today and realize that, God, that we need to take spiritual legacy more serious than we've ever taken spiritual legacy. And that for that to happen, we have to be very, very intentional. So today, our worship team's gonna come in a moment, and when they do, let's let the intentional part of our lives Take root and take action and let's seek God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind and with all of our strength. Saying, God, unless you fill me with your spirit and you use me and I surrender my life and I'm obedient to you, I'm not going to leave a legacy for you. But church, please never forget from this teaching series, never forget that when you live within the guardrails, it's hard and it's difficult at times. Never forget this. It leads to life. Live within the guardrails. They're not easy. But in the end, you find life. Let's find life today. As I get ready to pray and we go into a moment where we seek God in worship, let's find life by grabbing a hold of God. And let's draw near to him. Let's draw near to God. And let's seek him with all of our heart. Let's let some of the stagnant parts of our heart be flushed out. Let's let some of the legacy parts of our lives that are being, you know, misguided get back on track and live for him. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are, that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We don't want to be like the religious leaders that missed you. We want to be the people here in 2016 that find you. Lord, you're here in our midst. You're in our... You're moving even in this auditorium and you're moving in our venue and you're moving out in North Platte. You're meeting people even in their living rooms right now. And Lord, if we'll just say yes to you, if we'll humble ourselves and we'll seek you with everything inside of us, you, you're there to be found. Lord, help us to get off the broad road that leads to destruction on the narrow road that leads to life. Lord, I pray that you would stir our hearts and show us where the stagnant places are. Lord, we could could give those to you and you could bring life back to that area of our heart, back to that area of our life. Lord, show us how we can live our lives more effectively to leave a Christ-centered legacy that really matters. 
that alters the future for the next generations to come. Lord, I am so thankful for the generations that have gone before us here at New Life that allowed us to be where we are today. And may it be said about this generation that stands here right now in all these auditoriums, may it be said about us that we lived our life Christ-centered, fully abandoned for the cause of Christ. And in the generations to come, God, should you tarry and should you allow your mission to be lived out on this earth a little bit longer, should it be said about us that they were a generation that were all out for Jesus, fully abandoned to his cause, willing to give it all to see the kingdom of God advance in their day. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.